You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Baum? Rosenbaum? Which one is it? Because I've heard contentious. Tyler's here with me. Hey, Tyler's uh, on the episode. Rosenbaum is what my dad would say is correct. Baum sounds cooler. Rosenbaum or Michael Rosenbaum. Right. Doesn't. But uh, this guest, he's been a friend of mine for a while. I'm, you know, I'm excited to call him a friend. <laughs> but uh, he's a legend. He's, he's got so many hits. He played a couple on the show. These were unedited. We didn't fuck with them at all. He's that good. His tone is still perfect. He's tours everywhere. He's played with everyone. He's written songs for everybody. Richard Marks, if you don't know him, this is a great interview. He really talks about everything about... It's amazing how the mind works, Tyler, right? You talk to him, you hear him talking about like, I knew I could do things. It's like, I don't know, it's a confidence that he had and he'll, he articulates it better, but it's just like how the, you know, if you're always fearing things, if you're, then, then you're going to fail. You're going to do these things. But if you just change the way you think. And he has like a thousand showbiz stories with like Lionel Richie oh, and Barbara man. Streisand oh, and dude, all kinds of people. Dude. Yeah. And I could see it's funny because while he's playing, I looked over at you and you were like, kind of like a kid too. You're like, you are right. a kid. Yeah, but you were kind of twelve. Like, you, you were smiling. You were happy because it was so good. You saw how happy I was. I really. This is an episode that just really genuinely made me smile and happy, and um, it just brought back a lot of memories. And he's one of the good ones in the business. Inside of you is brought to you by Factor. I love Factor meals, Ryan. Do you know this? Yes. Why do you know this? Because I've seen them in your fridge, and you've offered me some. And you've had them. And I've had them. And you love them. I do. Because I asked you every time. Mm -hmm. um, look, I spent an enormous amount of money using delivery services for food or going grocery shopping and never eating the food that I buy or too many leftovers. And it's just, I waste so much money. And, you know, Factor Meals has really changed my life in a lot of ways because they have so many different meals, like 35 different meals, more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. And it takes just two minutes. So it doesn't matter how busy you are. It's two minutes to cook this stuff. You always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. And that's what Factor does. Um, I, I, I just can't get over all the things they have, like filet mignon, shrimp, blackened salmon, um, their breakfast items, everything, dessert. It's, it's perfect for my lifestyle. And I think it's perfect for a lot of lifestyles. Um, yeah, you can crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Keep kitchen time to a minimum. Factor meals are ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. Warm, sunnier days are calling, Michael. Well, yes, they are. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. It's pretty incredible. Head to factormeals.com slash inside50 and use code inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code inside50 at factormeals.com slash inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factor Meals. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just 
bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's 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 like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. So let's get inside Richard Marks. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Can you turn my headphones down a hair? What about yours? Are yours loud? I'm good. You're good? I'm kind of going deaf, so. Are you? Well, you're a musician. All musicians go deaf. You know, there's no no, uh, free lunch when it comes to that shit. I've got raging tinnitus. I called it tinnitus my whole life, and I'm finally surrendering to the real... Is it really tinnitus? It's tinnitus. Like, why can't they just say, no, we're going to call it tinnitus, because it is a much more pleasing word for a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing, plus it's a fucking horrible word. You really have tinnitus? (laughs) Do you really, though? Yeah, really bad. So, explain your tinnitus. (sighs) Nice tinnitus, by the way. You have beautiful tinnitus. Nice set of tinnitus. Tinnitus... For those who uh, don't know what it is, and you're lucky if you don't know what it is. It's tinnitus. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's what, that's For those of you who don't know what tinnitus is, it's tinnitus. Oh, right. Tinnitus. The ringing in your ears. Why and didn't you say so? Is it really bad ringing? It's really bad. It's 24 hours a day. And it's, uh, I mean, everybody, I think cases of it are different person to person. Mine are multiple really super high frequencies in both ears that 24 hours a day, I, no matter what's going on, I hear like really loud in both ears. So how do you not go crazy? I don't. I've so far I've been really loud. I've had it for decades. I was. I'm aware of it. It has gotten worse in the last couple of years. But if you really think about it, it can make you claustrophobic. It can, and people have killed themselves over it. That's what know? I was just gonna say. I've heard that. Stuff. I just sort of go, okay, it is just it's it's what it is. And and now I'm really looking into some alternative therapies for just to see but it, it's not it doesn't keep me up at night you know it's just annoying. always there it's annoying it's annoying it's like you know pain it, it a, would be a, lovely to not have it yes it's like having like a pain or something that it's annoying it's not killing you but it's right. always there right it's like a toothache in a way but not as bad right i think i would actually prefer tinnitus to a toothache tinnitus 
Tinnitus to a toothache. That yeah. should be a, uh, something an actor says before yeah. they perform. <laughs> tinnitus for a toothache. Tinnitus for a toothache. Toothcake. I said toothcake. Um, but enough about my tinnitus. Yes. Um, it, uh, it is a drag, though. Richard Marks, thank you for allowing me to be inside Dude, of you. I'm sorry it's taken me so long to let you inside of me. No. Well, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a very good answer. Um, but, uh, you know, I had to, I had to pace you. <laughs> yes, you, you did. <laughs> a little bit at a time. I need a little pacing. How did we meet? Do you remember how we met? I, I do. I think we met on Twitter. We did. Yeah. I tweeted something, and then you responded, and I couldn't believe Richard Marks was, was actually tweeting me. And it was something, and then we started direct messaging, and you said that your family would all, it was one thing that the family got together and did was watch Smallville. Yeah. Which I thought was freaking awesome. Yeah. And I think it was one of my sons who saw your tweet and, and told me, because I think he followed you on Twitter or something, and um, this was really early Twitter days for me. Yeah. I was a late, a late. That's Twitterer. true because you didn't have any followers because you just started like a day ago. Yeah, and now you've got tons of followers. Well, no, I mean, but it was I was late to that party on purpose. I just I I thought it was bullshit. But but I realized that the real value of it, aside from some other sort of, I, I find it creatively interesting over the years. But some of the interactions I've had with people have been really great. And you were probably one of the first people that I I responded to you when I think it was Lucas or Jesse that told me about it and. We loved that show so much, and so you and the whole cast were a part of our every Sunday night. We would have pizza and watch Smallville, and it was like a ritual. It was one of the, one of the few family rituals that lasted for years because if you can find a show that everybody wants to watch. And one of the things that we used to do, it became this joke. My kids would, every once in a while, there would be a shot of Tom Welling, and my, all of my sons would look at me like, is it this one? Is it this one? And what, what they'd be looking at me for is the one time there was an episode and I went, did you guys ever notice that there's always one moment in every Smallville episode that if you could freeze frame it and caption it, it would be world's most handsome man. <laughs> Wasn't he gorgeous? He was, I mean, as a straight man, I don't so, know that there's anybody dude. in his prime on that show. I don't think there's ever been a more handsome, maybe Elvis in his prime. I mean, he uh, he was gorgeous. Idea. Yeah, and he yeah. I remember him giving me mouth to mouth resuscitation. You enjoyed it. Is it resuscitation? Resuscitation. resuscitation? It's, yeah. It's, it's tinnitus. <laughs> See, we're on the same page. We've we've been on the same page. But I I look I love hearing that story. And and then you were so gracious because we just started talking. I was like, hey, you want to come down to Indiana where I grew up? I'm making right. this low budget raunchy film called Back in the Day. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah, you want to come down and then I'll cut you out of it later. Oh, I knew. <laughs> you know what's funny is you're still in the end credits. Oh, I am. Yeah, um, because it was a small, cool little part, and then we just look. We should have cut out other stuff. <laughs> we should have kept you in there. No, it, it wasn't was fun. For, it wasn't for performance. It just didn't make sense. We were trying to, and then but then you like gave me a song. Oh right, that's right. I did. You gave endless summer nights. I did, and I did in fact. I mean. I'm forever grateful because you made my dream come true of, of A, making a movie, a, B, having uh, Richard Mark's song in there, which fit perfectly. And it didn't cost you anything. And it didn't cost me because that song probably would have cost me, I'm guessing, upwards of twenty, thirty thousand dollars dollars $50,000. $50,000. What's the most you've ever gotten for one song in a movie? Uh, a tremendous amount. I wouldn't tell you what it is. Would you it's... say 500000 Yeah. When your agent called you and said you're making five hundred thousand or more, it was for a feature film, though. What film? I'm not going to tell you because the movie tanked, but the song. I like the movie Tank. <laughs> it wasn't that one. No, I I wouldn't tell you, but it was um it was in the '90s and 
and we just negotiated this crazy it's called a sync synchronization fee right. and the song and it was really i agreed to it a because the money was really great but also because it, i thought oh this is going to be a really nice little promo this will help support the song yeah the movie came out and just died in one weekend and the song still went into the top 10 you know a couple wow. months later because so it did great for you it was it was a win-win for me on every on every what level what song but, was it you allowed to say that yeah now and forever now and forever but that world of sync you know people using your songs in movies and stuff has become really even more valuable than ever because you know we don't really get paid too much for our songs any, on the radio anymore no in fact if you don't tour if you don't do, I mean, you got a tour but I don't like the Spotify thing because I don't understand. It's like, why not just sell your songs? If people want to get your songs, why not put them on iTunes? Why would the Eagles or Richard Marks or anybody put them on Spotify? Because I know, look, cumulatively, you know, in a year you go, hey, I got paid X amount of dollars. That wasn't yeah, but too, but it's, it's minimal, not, isn't it's it? It's really, really minimal. It's not, it's no comparison. Do you, yeah. Um, it's, look, I don't, you, I think everybody that would be listening to this would be bored out of their fucking minds. No way. But we'll be quick about it. The streaming services, uh, Spotify, Pandora, even YouTube, they're, they're trying to pay songwriters like it's point oh 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 yeah. one cent. Yeah. Um, even though they're making billions of dollars using our music, okay. The only company that sort of got it and came to the party is Apple Music. So it's still streaming because I don't know if you heard that. Like iTunes is going away. You can't just go and download a song anymore on iTunes. I you think know? you can. I think that's not going away for a while. I just read that thing, but there's some discrepancy where I think I, you know, you can still do it, but it's separate. It's a Entities. totally separate world. It's a separate world, but you could still do it. But but isn't it that the idea of like, hey, you might get sixty cents per dollar on iTunes? Isn't that the way to go? Like, sure. But why did you sign on for Spotify? Was it not your choice? It yeah. I'll, ultimately, I could take a stand and say I'm not putting it on there. But that's just the whatever the little income of that is is taken away as well because it's it's really it kind of feels like if you can't beat them, join them. You know what I mean? Mm. So. What a lot of us do is we allow our music to be streamed on on those streaming services, but we also bitch and moan about it and and petition Congress to change the laws. <laughs> yeah. And you know, while we're waiting, we're still getting paid uh, like a you know a meager amount. Right. I don't know. I think it's all going to shift in the next couple of years. But circling back to touring, if I didn't have a catalog of songs to tour on, I'd be fucked. I would yeah. be like, and you looking have for- a catalog. I do. By the way, I, I didn't realize you sang this song or wrote this song. You didn't sing on it. Mm. What about me? You know that song. Dude, what about me? If time my... after time, <laughs> I feel I'm losing my mind. Well, maybe. That was one of the first. Kenny Rogers, Kim Carnes, James, James Ingram. Ingram. Rest in peace. Uh, who else? Is that? Was that the yeah, three? Was three, yeah. Oh, dude, I love. I play that song all the time. And I was really? Like, Richard wrote that? Yeah, me and David Foster and Kenny Rogers. So here, lot, nobody knows the backstory on that song, and you're because you're the only person that knows that song. <laughs> I know. Actually, it was number one on the uh, one of the charts. You know, R and B charts or something. It was yeah, it was an R and B hit, but I think it was like adult contemporary or something. It was, right. and it was a top twenty single on the Hot 100. Anyway, it was a hit. By the way, am I allowed to play a snidbit of it, or yeah, will I get in trouble? Ahead. No, go. But go ahead, keep talking. The original version of this right. was written by myself. David and Kenny to be a trio between Kenny Rogers, Lionel Richie, and Barbara Streisand. And in the 11th hour, Lionel bailed out for whatever reason. Barbara was still in, but then she wanted all these rewrites on the song. And so finally Kenny went, fuck it. 
And so then it became Kenny Rogers, Olivia Newton-John, and Jeffrey Osborne. Ooh. And that was recorded, and it was really, really good. So, wow, so those people, like, lost out on a great song. Well, no, they recorded it, and then... Well, Jeffrey Osborne recorded it then. He did, with Olivia Newton-John and Kenny. And then there was some artist, I won't say, who threatened to sue Olivia because he had a duet coming out with her, and so she had to pull out of the recording. And then something happened with Jeffrey Osborne, and then it ended up being Kim Carnes and James Ingram, which was a great recording. Were you in the studio, or did you just... No, I was in the studio for all of it. Were you giving notes to all these other great musicians? No, I was, I was 19. You were 19 when you wrote What yeah, About Me? Yeah. That album was the first time I had anybody record my songs. I had three songs on that. Crazy. Kenny, Kenny Rogers. I was on the same album. So it was What About Me was the first single, and then Crazy was the second single. So I had those two songs, and then I had another song on that Kenny Rogers album. So my rent was paid for easily five years just from that <laughs> album because Kenny was still a badass, and he was selling you know, a million or two records. So it was like financial life changed in 1983. I can't imagine 19 years old. First of all, having the ability to write a song that an older person would go, this is mature. This mm. is a mature song. Right. And we're going to use this on our... To me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like if I wrote something like, oh yeah, the, the poop song, Rosenbaum. I don't <laughs> right. think we're going to use that. Right. So, I mean, how do you, were you... I mean, you were way ahead of your time. Um. I don't know that I would... I guess so, yeah. I was very mature for my age. So I, I didn't... I wasn't a goofball. I was a pro. I like I, I knew how to behave in a studio. Because your dad taught you. My dad taught me. Because your dad would write jingles. Yeah. Because you grew up in Illinois. Yeah. Where in Illinois? Uh, outside of Chicago. And so he wrote jingles for like Nestle. Oh, God. Hundreds. And you sang on these. Ask any mermaid you happen to see. What's the best tuna? Chicken of the sea. Come on. Yeah. Two scoops of raisins in a package of Kellogg's Raisin Bran. He wrote hundreds Kellogg's of Raisin Bran. Super catchy. And he produced them and arranged them. And then luckily for me, I you know, I would be walking around my house at five singing monkeys songs or Elvis songs and they noticed that I was singing in tune. And little by little my dad would get, you know, the advertising people would say, We've got a we've got a commercial for Nestle's Crunch Bars but we want kids to sing this jingle. So my dad was like, I'm going to put Richard on this. And so I I grew up in the studio. I grew up singing jingles. And you, you, I envy you because you just seem fearless. Mm. And you just seem like, you know, even when you came in here, I go, hey, if you want to play a song, you know, we could edit. We could you go, I don't need editing. I'm like, what? <laughs> and you're, and it's, you weren't saying it cocky, but you're like, I, you know, you, you're so comfortable. Uh, you should be after all these years, you would think. Yeah. But like even me with acting, I still get nervous. I still freak out. I still do these things. There are certain circumstances where I get nervous. When though. do you get nervous? Uh, when I'm going to play on TV. When I'm, I'm going to play live on television, there's a little bit of <clears throat> little nervousness. Sometimes I just can't wait to play. Like I feel like I'm going to fucking crush this. So you get excited. I get still. really excited. You get pumped up like a good energy. Oh, yeah. But there's still times when I'm about to go out and I think, oh, and I'll register, oh, yeah, there's going to be like maybe 7 million people or 12 million people, whatever, and I'll go, fuck, okay, I better not fuck this up. But it's very momentary, and I don't ever let it mess with me, really. How? What do you do? Is it meditation? Is it just an innate gift? or It's experience. It's a form of meditation, and the experience is that there were times... 
I learned really early on, and maybe you've experienced this too. It's really a common thing if you're smart about it. Self-defeating thinking almost always works. (laughs) You know, if you think you're going to fuck up, you're going to fuck up. If you think something is not going to happen, it's not going to happen. You're, I've especially in the last five years, I have really learned that what you think is everything. It really is. Yeah. So there were times in my early part of my career where I did some TV stuff and had some bad experiences. I mean, nothing that was like a train wreck or embarrassing that anybody else could notice, but I would hear a note I sang out of tune or something, and then I would think about that note. Obsessed. Every time I sang that song, and every and I would think, don't fuck up that note, don't fuck up that note, and I would fuck up that note, until I kind of went, I'm not going to fuck up that note, and then I was fine. Now it's really just a power of, I don't fear failure, because I think of, I think in terms of success and not failure. So I don't ever, and it's, I was totally kidding you about the editing thing. Of course. But, but the truth is, if somebody hands me a guitar, even in the worst of circumstances, my go-to thought is, oh, this is going to be horrible. My go-to thought is, oh, I'm going to fucking rock this. It'll be great. To me, if I could learn that, I'd be unstoppable. If I could switch Why my brain. Why haven't you learned that, do you think? I don't know. I think it's probably, you know, I, I, I deal with this all the time. And I think I'm going to beat it. I think I'm going to get there because I'm really working on myself now. Like, I'm really going after it like, hey, what's holding you back? You've already shown that you can do a lot of things. You've had an incredible so, career. So why not? Why are you scared? Why do you have fear? Why does it? Why does failure scare you so is much? Is that the fear? Is that the main thing? I think it's like, you know, I, I, I strive so hard to be perfect, which is an impossibility. Of course, there's no such, there's no such thing. No such thing. Like I talk, I've talked about this before, so, you know, just go have a snack if you want to not want to hear it again. But like, you know, when I go up, I was doing stand-up all last year, and I was going up with Joe Rogan and David Spade and Judd Apatow and uh, Nick Swartzen, and I was going up, and, uh, you know, I was right in the middle, and I thought, Instead of thinking these guys have been doing it their whole lives, mm-hmm. they've mastered it. They're not. They're fearless. They're, I thought in my feeble fucking mind that I have to be great. I have to prove to them that I belong there. When the reality is, you just started. You're gonna be funny, but you're probably not gonna be as funny. But be as funny as you can be. I know the the psycho the, the, the psychology of it all. Like I I should go up there and go, dude, you're funny. Your jokes are new. You're going to grow. You're going to get better. And But I put so much pressure on myself that I'd wake up nervous the whole day, fight or flight, oh. until that night. And then I'd go on and actually things would go well. And then I'd feel great. And then I'd recycle the whole thing instead of my mind going, why are you doing this again when you know you just succeeded? Right. So there's some psychology there that I've got to break out of. And I'm, and I'm working on it. Well, I could understand it more if you'd had multiple experiences where you you were nervous and freaking out and then it didn't go well. And then you're like, fuck, I knew it was going to be this way. And then that's a mindset you right. have to break out of. But if you had great experiences, great. that's even more like, why are you... It's almost like you're kind of willing it to go wrong rather than be like, it's fine. Just to keep doing what you're doing and keep growing and keep getting better. And, and the other thing is... We, we waste so much time we should be enjoying what we're doing by worrying about it. That's right. In terms of live performance, I look at every single show I do as a gift. And I'm going to love the shit out of every minute of it. And it has shifted the 
energy in the room. I mean, I'll, I never have, I have no complaints. I always had a great time touring. I, I had, I've always had great audiences. I have, I've had all those wonderful yeah. experiences, but I've sensed a shift in the, in the connection I've made with every audience now. I mean, once in a while, there'll be a, there'll be a night where I'll, it'll just not be quite as killer, but for whatever reason. But yeah. 99% of the time, I walk off stage and I just can't believe how effortlessly fun it was to really connect, not just musically, because really my show is really about what happens in between the songs. I don't worry about the music anymore. Your stories. It's the stories. It's Connection, like, yeah, yeah. And I've been there. And I love it. And you're right. When you when you speak about these stories, you know, usually when you hear other musicians or an actor get up there and go, oh, so before I... And like, just play the fucking right, song. Right, exactly. But your stories are all interconnected with the, the music that makes it part of the experience. That's part of it. It's also just none of them are serious stories. They're self-deprecating. Yep. And, and I I work... You know, you were talking about doing stand-up. I mean, it's, it's a similar mechanism in that I've had these things happen to me in these stories that, that are funny, that are just... They're just funny. It's just funny shit. And then I've worked on the stories to tell them as if I'm doing stand-up almost so right. that when I hit that line to me I gauge the success of a show every night by the laughs more than the applause from the songs really yeah absolutely like you're almost like you want your performance like as almost like an actor or a comedian absolutely you want to be funny you want to be they like you on top of the music you want to be liked first absolutely I had it's funny I had this conversation recently with Gilbert Gottfried of all people he had uh, he interviewed me and he had done some homework on like watching, which I thought was really cool. He and his producer watched clips of me live. He said, I didn't know that you were funny <laughs> on stage. Like these, these, some of these things that you're like, they're, it's like, com it's truly like comedy yeah. in between the songs. Like it's a stand up show. And when I said, yeah, and I, and I, I pay much more attention to that. He was really shocked, but, but of course he gets it and you get it too. It's like, People come to hear X number of songs that I've done, right? Yeah. I might throw in a couple other songs that they don't know. And when those go over really, really well, sometimes you get a standing ovation. Sometimes you get this really prolonged ovation that is so sexy, right? Yeah. Look, it'd be fun to play a little bit of something. You don't have to play a whole song, but like a little bit of this and then maybe something at the end. Yeah, Just sure. a little bit. What do you, what do you want to play? I'll play whatever you want. You want a little Endless Summer Nights, the song from your... Uh... Oh, yes. Can I intro it like a DJ? Right now off the coast, 96 WSTO, we've got Richard, Mar you see, hang on Richard, so you, you start strumming a little so they could hear the, the beginning while I'm, okay, yeah, yeah, you know what but, I mean? But you, so it's, yeah, you gotta time it just so though, right? Right, right, right. Okay. 94.7 WKDQ off the coast, Richard Marks now with us, an oldie but a goodie, endless summer nights from the movie Back in the Day That Didn't Make a Red Cent. Summer came and left without a warning. All in once I looked and you were gone Now you're looking back at me Searching for a way that we can be Like we were before Now I'm back to what I knew before you So now the city doesn't look the same Give my life for one more night Having you here to hold me tight Oh please, take me there again Whoa And I remember how you loved me 
much I can say So please don't run away From what we have together It's only you and me tonight So let's stay lost in flight Won't you please surrender Four point seven. Richard Marks <laughs> off the coast. Wow! If you if you hadn't heard that song, you're probably gonna have that on your playlist. First of all, fuck you. Fuck you, Thank you. for. Thank I you mean, very much. I mean, just perfect pitch, perfect tone. Like you really don't need editing, dude. Come on, I'm 55. I've been doing this for 32 yeah, years. Yeah, but how do you sound just like you did? I think you know what it is. My honest answer is, it's a muscle, and if you, it's the use it or lose it. And a lot of people, when they don't tour that much or they don't sing that much anymore, it's just going to go to shit. I'm, I do, you know, eighty, ninety shows a year. I'm always singing. I'm always. Do you play this song just by yourself? Yeah, like most of the shows I do are just solo acoustic shows. I mean, now it's a little bit more band shows. No, but... no, I meant, do you know them so well that you don't even go out and do them until you get on stage, or do you actually go? I'm going to go through this. Oh, no, no, no. Never anymore. Only if I'm going to do a song that's newer. Right. Or an old song that I haven't played in years. Right. But no, I don't. Like, if I'm off for two weeks, I don't need to. Like, I don't even sound check. My my guy always knows the levels. He knows what you want. I just, I get there. I have a little sip of a martini and I walk on stage and have a blast. Little sip of martini. Is it a half a martini? It's about a half a martini. And then I probably will drink a half a martini on stage. And And then 11 martinis after the show. And 11 martinis after now you you never had a problem with any drugs or any you know no. you never did any of that stuff. No, I'm working on it. You're, you're <laughs> I'm working on it now. My liver had it way too good for too long. <laughs> How many people know the uh, the Lionel Richie story? I think a lot of. Is people that know. like you know that Lionel Richie like you had a tape? Yeah. And somehow you got it to Lionel Richie, and Lionel Richie called you, and you didn't think it was Lionel Richie, and he said, "Come out." Yeah. You were how old? Eighteen. 18. In I Chicago, just graduated from graduate high school. high school. My phone rings. I, I I had written four songs total that I had demoed because my dad's studio, and, and I had to pay for it. I had to pay, pay for it out of my own savings account. My dad was like, you can use my studio, but you got to pay for it. I was like, you're my fucking dad, man. <laughs> and like, it was just you and a guitar. No, it was I hired studio musicians that were pl- the guys that played on the jingles. So I had this demo tape of four songs. Any of the songs I would know are no, just like they're songs that never went heard. anywhere. Right. Um, but they were my first four songs that I felt were at least worth trying to record. Right. And this was 81, I guess. Lionel Richie was leaving, just leaving the Commodores to do his first solo record. The big record. The big, well, I mean, he had several, but I Running mean, With The Night was on this album. No, that was Can't Slow Down. That was Can't That was Down. the second album. The uh, first album was You Are Truly oh, yeah. My Love. Just thinking about you, baby, just blows my mind. Love that jam. 
a friend of mine from high school who was a year older than me had graduated and was going to college at uh, Duke. His roommate knew a guy who knew a guy who knew the Commodores, somebody in the Commodores organization. This is like six people removed. My friend says, hey, I played your tape for my roommate and he's going to send it to his friend who knows a guy who knows, <laughs> right? And you're thinking not a chance. I used to say that all the time for for decades when i would tell the story i would go i just i knew that there was like no chance and and then when lionel richie did call me because my phone number was written on the back of the cassette four weeks five weeks maybe even longer later like a lot of time went by and the phone rings and it's lionel richie saying i heard this tape and he was very encouraging and awesome guy i when i told that story for probably 20 something years i would say i couldn't believe it that's a lie i knew he was going to call me i believed that this was going to change everything for me. I wasn't cocky about it in my head. And like, I didn't even really admit it to myself. You just really believed that you I, had this talent. But if I, it wasn't even about my talent. It was, um, this is going to sound so touchy feely hippie shit, but it comes back to what you think. And what I've learned in the last, you know, especially the last five years in doing a lot of work on my own brain, I didn't feel comfortable admitting things like that to myself when I was young, because I thought I was going to jinx it. You know, I would think to myself, I can't think I'm going to win the Grammy for Song of the Year because then I won't, like it's punishment or something. Right. But the truth was, even though I kind of had that fear, I still believed it. And almost every single thing that I would think that's going to happen, that fucking happened because I, be I believed it would happen. Celestine Prophecy shit. Totally. That's a great book. Totally. And it's the power of thought. It's the power of like the energy that you create. I remember I feel like I had that, but I had it at a young age, and I want to get that back. But I had yeah. that I had that thing where I was like, there's this guy, his name uh, was Leo Burmester. He was in like a bunch of movies, and he was kind of a mentor. But he came to Western Kentucky University to talk to the class, the theater department. And I saw that he was in, oh, my God, he was in The Abyss, and he was this. And I'm like, oh my. I go, he's going to come here, and he's going to see my ability, and he's going to tell me to come to New York. I swear to God, I remember thinking this. And only seniors were allowed to do a monologue in front of Leo. And you were? Well, no, I wasn't a senior. So I went in there. I go, hey, look, man, I pay money. Or my grandma paid money to go to the school to help me. And really? uh, it wasn't a lot. I barely got in. It was a small. Western Kentucky University. I love the school. It really helped me out. But they, I said, I want to do a monologue. Please let me do a monologue. Like, I got to do a monologue. They go, okay, you can be the last one. And five seniors got to do their monologues, and he kind of gave notes to a couple of them in and after, and then I was last, and he came up to me, and then he goes, do it this way. And I did it again. Do it this way. Did it again. Now the class is starting to stir and going, what the hell's going on? Do it this way. At the end, I was crying doing the monologue. It completely wasn't comedic anymore. It was like dramatic, and he looked at me quietly and goes, you have it. You have got what it takes. It's all right here in your heart. And never forget that, that you have what it takes. And then I remember my professor, Dr. Combs, he called me in his office. He says, I don't even know why. I know you're talented, but Leo said that he's the one. He's the <laughs> one that's going to go somewhere. He, and he did. And sure enough, Leo called me and said, hey, if you want to come to New York, I'll introduce you to my agent. And all these things that I imagined in my head yeah. were happening. And so somehow along this journey, I'm 46 now, I'm like, how do I get that feeling back? I'm sure there was a song called trying to wait who was that uh, trying to get the feeling again <laughs> Baron Manilow wasn't it <laughs> right. trying to get the feeling again. Yeah. uh and you know it's 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 that but do you still feel that do you still have that like hey this is going to happen this is going to work out do you do you still feel as yeah I, I mean 
The only thing I would say is maybe a little different is that I feel I'm, I'm much more balanced with it because I have been so fortunate so many times in so many different ways Yeah, that I now, how do I explain it? It's not that I don't see things or experience things or think about things that I would really love to have happen and kind of try to manifest them and just focus on them and think positively about them. Right. But there's nothing that's that crucial anymore. What do you mean crucial? I mean, um, like you, you, you're at the height. Of, I mean, you've had so much success that do you want to get any bigger than you are, or the success? No, no. You- what I could easily do, like there are some friends of mine who uh, had, you know, great success, if not even bigger success than I did at the same time, right? Who cannot accept that we're not on the radio anymore, or that we're not going to have hits anymore. I can easily accept it. I feel like that's the way the business works. Pop radio is for young people. Pop radio shouldn't play a 55-year-old man, even though I'm making music right now that I feel like is some of the best things I've ever done. And like totally, if it wasn't me, if it wasn't Richard Marks, and we just put it out under a fake name, and I had a picture of some good-looking young kid, it would probably do really well. But I don't begrudge that because I had so much reward in my life and in my career that it tempers my willingness to be so I want more I want this I want that so really where it really um matters to me is more personal stuff somebody's close to me is dealing with health issues you know I have to really be focused on being positive about it and thinking about them being better because if I get hung up on worrying and thinking what if they don't make it or what if it gets worse or whatever so that that's how that has it I could give a fuck about songs or career achievements at this point when it comes to thinking right. you know because i've been so lucky everything is an extra little gift you know i'm going to open for barbara streisand on july 7th at hyde park barbara and that's streisand. a huge thing you know i mean that's going to be a really really special thing for me you know this friday night i'm playing with the nashville symphony i'm playing my Jesus. songs i made up with, with one of the greatest symphonies in the world behind me and i've done symphony shows before but the nashville symphony is just fucking world class all these things that experiences that still show up in my life are just these great gifts so i i really feel like when it comes to the thing that we're really focusing on which is the the way we think and what we want to draw in into our lives it it's all fine like i'm not hung up about it anymore i don't really work too hard on what i'm thinking or how i'm thinking only when it comes to personal stuff or or because it's also exhausting it's exhausting, it's exhausting to you just re- re- mentally wear yourself out wanting 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 so much when it's just like hey if you got the ability you've got to take a step back yeah it's not like take a step back and like you're not trying but it's right it's more like you're a being too hard on yourself you're probably putting too much energy into something that you shouldn't yeah which is the thing i have but yeah, yeah. It's I like know. I remember, um, I hadn't thought about this analogy, but there was this um, woman that I knew many years ago. So she was in her 20s, beautiful girl. And she was in LA trying to make it as an actress. She had a period of like a year where she got a part in this and she got a part in that. And then she was in this little movie and, and she was really cute and, and kind of, she was pretty, she was okay. But she was just typical. There was nothing special about her, you know? Right. And then she had this couple of little opportunities. And then I think the people in the industry were kind of like, yeah, no, she's fine, but there's nothing unique about her. And then it kind of went away. And years go by, 10 years, 11 years. And every time I would run into her, she would go, I really feel like this is going to be my year. I really feel like this is going to be my year. And yeah. I felt so bad for her 
because, and I, I have no, it would be arrogant for me to say that I knew, knew, but I thought you don't really believe it. You can't really believe it. It'd be like me saying, I re- I'm going to play for the Lakers next year. Okay. Really? You know what I mean? Like some, you have to be delusional. somewhat realistic about the way you're thinking. Yeah, I agree with that. And sometimes I, you know, I have friends that, um, you know, are still like, you know, I still want to be an actor. I still want to do this. I'm like, you know, I try to sway them in a way. Like, you don't want to get in front of someone's dreams. Right. Like, but you also, as a friend, have to say, listen, you've been busting your ass. Yeah. And nobody's worked as hard as you. But, you know, there comes a time when you're like, hey, like you're also really good at this. Right. And you're great at that. It means so much to people in this. Why don't you put all your energy in that? And then you won't be so dissatisfied with or or discouraged or... You know, or maybe, maybe more importantly, what I ch- try to say to people, because even that a little bit is, is dissuading. I'll, I'll say, why don't you try to focus more on just being open to anything mm, yeah. rather than say, fuck that, pursue that. Because then that, if that is a dead end, then there, it's all eggs in that basket. Yeah. But you said you're going to open for Barbara Streisand. And I thought, God, wouldn't it be cool if like Richard could sing, like at, talk to her and go, Hey, can I play a song that you're not singing? A Barbara Streisand song, "My Own Way," for for Barbara as an opener. Would you ever consider that? Like, what what song would it be? Would it be "Coming In and Out of Your Life"? No, it wouldn't be that. Isn't one. easy. No. Let me think of another one. It wouldn't be that one. Would it be um, the main event? No, it's not. <laughs> it's not the main event. <laughs> uh, it's come on. It's got to be something like what? What would it be? She did this song that was kind of a hit. In the 70s. Oh, this is actually a really great story about Barbara Streisand. Because I've known her for 30 years now. And we're neighbors, so we we actually hang out. And we've kind of gotten to the point where only every once in a while will I be talking to her or she'll be saying something. I'll go, fuck, it's Barbara Streisand. (laughs) Because it's just Barbara, you know. We went to Yum Yum Donuts together. You know what I mean? It's like, she's an amazing person, first of all. Her reputation... And the I love stuff her. I'm people, in love with her. The people that that say this shit about her, they don't know her. You know, she's a really kind, funny, cool, smart woman. So when I first got to know her, really early on, I had to confess to her, and I can't believe I did this. I said, "By the way, I got to tell you, you did an album called Superman." I was 13, and my dad bought the album. My dad would was buy that it. In a, her in a little pair of skivvies yes. with the long legs? Yeah. How do and I remember that? she was wearing a that? Superman yes. white t-shirt and white I, I short have the shorts. Album. I have it in there. And I said to her, I said to her <laughs> face, I said, first of all, and I mentioned songs on the album that I thought were so great. And I said, but that album cover and the, especially the back cover <laughs> helped me through puberty. And oh she looked God. at me and she went, really? <laughs> I went, absolutely. <laughs> and then, so from that point on, it's become a running joke where I'll say, like we email each other a lot sometimes and I'll be, I'll say, Oh, I, I saw so-and-so or I did an interview and I talked about you today. And she goes, did you tell them the dirty things you did with my album cover? Oh my God. It's so funny that, that we have this cool little thing. How cool is that? How cool is that? But there's a song on that album. Uh, is it it's known? amazing. Yeah, it was a hit. It was called My Heart Belongs to Me. Oh my God. How, I couldn't even imagine singing that song. That's, That's a, a hard song. song to sing. For now my love, hey, didn't I love you? My love. Oh yeah. That's a hard song to sing. Yeah, but it's a gr- really good. Could song. you sing that? You think? Yeah, I would work. I would work it out. To You'd work it out to your, you know. Yeah, your... but I don't remember it all. I would figure out the chords and, um, but yeah, it's amazing I remember any of those songs because of the album cover. You'd think it would just sort of. <laughs> I had I had crushes that were not typical when I was a teenager. I mean, I of course I was hot for Farrah Fawcett and 
you know, Cheryl Teagues and, but I was like for those few years when Barbara Meg did Ryan, that. Oh, Meg Ryan, yeah. Nicole Kidman back in the day. And, uh, Carly Simon, I thought was really oh, yeah. sexy. Like, that really song was hot. written about Warren Beatty, right? I think she said it was. What yeah. song was it? You're so vain. You're so vain. We all thought it was about Mick cause Mick's on it. Right. But she finally said she wrote it about Warren Beatty. What's your favorite Carly Simon song? Mine's the sad You belong one. to me. Oh yeah, that's a great song. That was redone by, remade by someone amazing. Well, she wrote it with Michael McDonald, and there's a Doobie you Brothers. You belong to me. The Doobie Brother, the Doobie version of that is really tell, good. Tell her. <laughs> he kind of talks the way he sings. We want <laughs> <to marry. laughs> oh my own. Do you want to hear something? Yes. Here's a scoop. You know who wrote that song? Wasn't how it was. Um, no, on my own. Patty. It was Patty Austin. Patty Labelle. Patty Labelle and and, and Michael McDonald. Who you wrote, know it? wrote it? Mm-mm. Burt Bacharach. Mm-mm. Do you know who I've been writing songs with? Burt Bacharach. Burt Bacharach. You wrote songs for everybody. I mean, you wrote songs for Chicago, didn't you? Uh, yeah. And and Lionel Richie story, which we didn't finish, but the Lionel Richie story, which what I love hearing is that you were kind of sitting in the studio and these other performers were singing and they couldn't get what Lionel wanted. Is that right? Yeah. And then Lionel was like, and what song was that? You are the sun. You, you are, are the rain. That makes my life this foolish. And so you go, didn't you say, I can do that? No. You didn't say no, that because that would have been an ego thing. Yeah. No, you were waiting, though, for him to say, can you do it? I was not expecting. In fact, he had told me, he invited me over to the studio because he really encouraged me to move to L.A. And I was, I was like three months away from graduating from high school. And he actually said to me, because, dude, if I were you hearing these songs and hearing your voice, this take your shot. This is a young man's business. You can always go back to college because I was going to go to Northwestern. And I was like, fuck Northwestern. I'm going to Hollywood. And my parents, not shockingly, went, you absolutely need to go to L.A. and try it there because, you, you know. If it, you know I mean, if Lionel Richie's calling your son. It, you know. Right, but but here's the important thing. He was not saying to me, "I have a job for you." Right, he was right. saying, "I." He even said to me, "I don't have anything for you. I can't. You. I can't help you personally. Like I'm covered with everything I'm doing, but you need to be in L.A. If you, if it's going to happen for you, you got to be where it's at. It's not going to happen for you there. So he just encouraged me to move out. Right. So I took that advice. I come out to L.A. with no job, with nothing, and I'm just like, I'm going to start from scratch. I don't know really what I'm going to do. But he said, when you come to L.A., you know, hit me up. It's just let me know that you're around. You, you had it. You gave it yourself. He gave me his number. Which you still have. Yeah, it's, Different it's, number. It's definitely changed since 1981. <laughs> right. So? I called him and he said, hey, I'm, I'm at A&M, which is now Hanson Studios on La Brea. He said, come down tomorrow afternoon, you know. And so I get there and he just happens to be doing background vocals on that song. You are. And I was with my dad. My dad kind of helped me get set up in my apartment. And he was about to go home the next day. So my dad and I are just sitting on the couch in the control room, and I'm watching, and I overhear that they've been working on the background vocals on this song for three days in a row. For it to have been three hours would have been ridiculous, but three days, they couldn't find the blend they wanted, Lionel wasn't happy with it, they were keep trying, they were switching parts, they were doing all this, and I could see he was really frustrated. He was out there singing with this group of two other people. Right. And all of a sudden, he looks at me through the glass. You can really hear me on this song, actually. Where should I forward At the end, to? go to the very end, because then right. you can really hear me. Check it out right here. That's me right there. That's you? Totally me. I want to hear that again. Hold on. 
you can totally hear me. Oh my gosh. So he points to me. He looks at me for a second. And I can see him looking at me and he points to me through the glass and he goes, come here. And I turned around like he was, I thought he was pointing to somebody else. He said, no, Richard, come out here. So I go out into the studio and he goes, have you like been listening to what we're doing? I said, yeah. And he said, okay, I want you to try singing my part. And Deborah, you sing this part. He switched parts and he left the group and had me sing his part. And he switched the other parts. He goes in the control room. We put the headphones on. They hit play. We hit that chorus. We sing it together. And he hits the talk back and he goes, that's the sound I wanted. You did one take? One take. And then, then we finished the record. But but the first time we sang it, he hit the talk back. And I'll never forget. He went, that's the sound I wanted. And it, and I remember, in retrospect, it's like my life changed when he hit the talk back and said that. If I hadn't had that, if, if that had not transpired, probably he would have hugged me and said, you know, good luck. It was so nice to finally meet you. You know, st- st- come around sometime, whatever. Instead, I was now the background the new background singer on that record and i and he the other incredible thing he did for me he i sang on like four songs on that record but he said to me just so you know whether you're in here singing or not you're welcome to be here and i said really and he went yeah and i said no i mean really cuz i'll fucking be here every day and he goes you're welcome to be so every day i went to the studio when he was in the studio i was at the studio and i just watched I watched them make that record. And you learned more. I learned more. It was like going to record producing school, like like the the primo college. I watched him interact with musicians. I I saw Joe Walsh come in and play a guitar solo who would four years later play a guitar solo on my record that changed my career. I met different people through that experience. Kenny Rogers was through that, wasn't it? Yeah, that was 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 like a year later that Lionel recommended me to Kenny Rogers as a background singer. And then I ended up getting songs cut by him. But... I met Jesus. Greg Fillingaines, the keyboard player, who's still a great friend of mine to this day. And these these guys that I had worshipped from reading their names on the back of album credits, they were all in the room with Lionel. And it was just, it was unbelievable. Well, luck is a commodity of preparation and opportunity. Right, when preparation and opportunity collide. Because you had the ability, you had the talent. You were prepared. Right. I could have shit the bed and that would have been that. You can't just be like, I'm at Lionel Richie and here I am and have no ability to back it up. Right. You backed it up. Well, he gave me the opportunity and I was able to do it. It just just happened that that was what he was looking for. It was also, I think, all humility aside, it was that I was a really versatile singer as a session singer. I could sing really high, powerful high, and then I could sing really even higher than that, like Bee Gees falsetto high. So I could sound like a girl. Can you and, still do that? Oh yeah, you could still go high, so high. <laughs> yeah, like it's easy. What about lows? I mean, my voice has dropped a bit, so I mean, but those—if you listen to my first album—if you listen to my first album, I sound like a girl. Like I hadn't toured, I didn't have that road weariness in my. What's voice. your favorite song you've ever written? Hazard. No. <laughs> you like how I answered it? Hazard. <laughs> Hazard, right? <laughs> I would say another one. You'd be no. That's incorrect. Um, I do love Hazard. Your favorite song I don't you've ever one. written. I don't have. What's one. the one you love playing the most? It's a good question. I think Angel Lee is way up there. Oh yeah, it's one of my favorites. Um, that's such a great song. Yeah, I love and that you know song. what's funny is I forgot about that song till I went to see your concert and I yeah. go, oh my god, that's him. Yeah, you know, you get a lot of that. Like yeah, people go, wait, you sing that? Right. Yeah, totally. Should have known better. Yeah. Do you like playing that one? Yeah, I love that one. I love all of them. There's none of them that I don't like to play. 
but I, and I think it's because I like them all so much still, and I'm so grateful for them. That's the real thing is that I, to be able to look down at a set list of 17 songs Jesus. and have 16 of them be top 20 hits, <laughs> like, fuck, I'm so grateful for that. You yeah. Know? Have you ever played a, me- a medley of your songs? Could you do like a, like a five song, just a little bit of something and a little bit of that, a little bit of this? Uh, I have. I, I you don't really, like medleys. I don't like medleys. I don't like Prince ones did a medley. I don't of like all, and I was like, what the fuck? I wanted to hear that whole song. Yeah. I don't, I generally don't do that. It's kind of weird, isn't it? No, I mean, it's fine if, you know, but there's certain people that do that and I, and when they do it, I'm like, you know, just play the song. Now you went through a lot of shit because you were you were married for twenty five years. Yeah, and you probably don't talk about this a lot. No, never. No, but you were married for twenty five years, and I know when that ended, it probably was the lo- one of the lowest points in your life. Oh right? yeah, it was horrible. I mean, how do you how do you come back from that, and what gets you through something like that? Um, I guess the first thing would be knowing internally that it was the right thing to do, like if. Every, I think everybody, especially if you've been in a long relationship and that relationship ends, whether you ended it or they, or the other person ended it, there's a period of freak out, like this is a mistake because you're so used to being in that relationship that it clouds whether or not that was really a, a relationship that should have continued. And it took me a little, not too long, luckily. I dealt with every range of emotion until I really started to go, no, this is the right thing. And it had nothing to do with my love for her or, um, in fact, I look at my, you just said I was married for 25 years. I was with her for 29 years. It was a really, really successful relationship. Yeah. One of the most successful relationships I've ever heard of. Three amazing kids who I'm ridiculously close to. They all live here. You know them all. Um, so I, I've become um, somewhat matter of fact about the fact that when we met, we had kids, we had a really, we had tremendous highs in that relationship, some really wonderful time together. I have the utmost respect for her and I wish her nothing but happiness. So there's not, it's not an ugly, it, you know, it certainly wasn't always that way. The first year or two was like, it was really rough, but I, I learned really quickly that I was, making a decision that I really believed was the right decision for us to not be together anymore. And so, um, how hard are you on yourself when it comes to those things? Uh, better now, but, but back then I was, I was really bad, really brutal and mean to myself. Yeah. I remember, I remember just like, you know, hanging out with you at the time and I could just tell you, you know, like you, like you're one of those guys who you don't want to hurt someone. You don't want to, no. you know, you always, you're, you know, you're a people pleaser, but not only that, but you like, when you really love someone deeply, it's like, you know, I, I could tell that, you know, you were, you know, you were obviously going through. Oh it. yeah. It was and, a very painful time. Yeah. And, um, are you able to talk now? Is it amicable at all? Yeah, amicable? It's amicable. I mean, we don't really, we don't. It's not like, not, Hey, let's go hang out. No. Right, right. Right. I would love to see that happen, but it's all very amicable and we share great relationships with our sons you know, and I, I actually check in on her through them more than anything else. Sure. So there's no, um, you know, it's there's definitely, at least on my side, there's nothing about like, you know, don't talk about your mother or like, I'm always going, so what's up with your mom? Like, is she doing or did she, uh, what's up with her? Yeah. The dad? See, I don't deal with that. I deal with uh, both of them constantly talking negative about each other. All terrible things about each other. Yeah. Yeah. My dad like, oh, this. And then my mother going, oh, your fucking father. And that's like, 
it's it, that's how it's that's always horrible. been. It's horrible. It's horrible. Do they do that to your brother too? Um, yeah, and I just say, hey, stop. Yeah, I don't want to hear about that. You want to talk to me about my life? That's great, but don't talk about anybody else. What feels really, really great to me, my sons have never heard a crossword about their mother from me. And I absolutely believe that. Yeah. yeah. So that's important, and I think that because of course, even though my marriage to their mother ended, my relationship with them is absolutely forever. Like, why would I want to be the guy that? First of all, I have nothing to badmouth her about. Right. But even if there are things that have ha- that have transpired or whatever, when people get divorced and shit happens, it would be so easy to say to one of my kids, "You're, you're your mother." That's just anathema to me. It's like that's the shittiest thing you can do. And if I did, I would hope that they would turn to me and go, "Shut the fuck up." Shut dude. the fuck up. Um, I remember also. I like to go on different tangents, but like the Lionel Richie concert we went to together was awesome. Oh yeah, that's because right. Because you're like, oh, I, I stood on that one. I go, really? What, what other one did you see? Running with the night. He's such a nice guy. And then huh? you met him because you sent me a picture of you guys. Yeah. Together. And he was like, Oh man, of course. I'm like, I mean, what a what an amazing story. How many people like you think somebody would say, Hey, come in the studio? Like f- f- that shit doesn't happen. It doesn't. First of all, it doesn't happen. Like, yeah, fly out to LA. Look me up. Call me. Come in the studio. Yeah, sing on this. It's such a random thing that you don't hear those kind of stories. There are not a lot of those stories. And then it turns out to be you become one of the biggest artists ever. I mean, especially during the 80s and 90s. I mean, it just doesn't happen. It just does not happen. But I had so much of, I mean, again, I don't don't mean to completely harp on on the thinking, manifesting thing, but. I like it. Dude, when I think about everybody that I really admired either a hero or somebody that I really, really admired, with the exception of Elvis Presley, who died when I was 12, I have either met, become friends with, or worked with, or all of the above. Every single one of them. That's a, that's a great life to work with people that you admire and then become friends with them. And like, yeah. It yeah, is. It's cool. Yeah, and I do that too. And I, But you know, it's funny because this show, like I, I do it and I, I started doing it just because, I, I mean, I'll start a po- And then it became something else. It became like purpose. Like we talked about real things and like, how powerful the mind is. And it's not just about, oh, what are you doing now? And it's, I don't know, it just became something that helps me and helps people who are listening. And they're just like, it's just a new perspective. Yeah, it's you good. Know, at least I think. That's um, good. What other song you want to play for us? Uh, we could do Don't Mean Nothing. Yeah? Yeah, why not? We were just talking about it. Unless there's something else you want. I mean, I love that one. I mean, what's, they're could all do, easy for you, aren't they? We could do Should Have Known Better. We could do um, Don't Mean Nothing. We could do... Um, Nothing's too slow, though. Should have should have known better. You want to do should have known better? Ninety four. Sto. We got a great song here. Should have known better. How many times have you heard that, Richard? Richard Marks off the coast. Another sleepless night. I can't explain. Somebody said they heard me call your name. The radio won't let you leave my mind. I know it's over, but I don't know why. Should've known better than to fall in love with you. Now love is just a faded memory. Should've known better. I'm a prisoner to this pain, and my heart still aches for you. There was no risk that I wouldn't take Not a promise that I didn't make All I asked was that 
Point seven, Richard Marks just keeps on fucking killing it. Dude, this has been an absolute freaking treat. I mean Dude, it was fun. Sorry it took so long for me to No, no, this is this is this is honestly. Sorry it took so long for you to get inside me. This is one of the most how much fun are you having, Tyler? Tyler's over here engineering the Tyler's show. Tyler's 11 years old. He's like, I don't fucking know any of this shit, man. It was great. Dude. I, I don't, mean, but I, it was great. I, I still can't believe Like, I should believe it. But, like, listening to you and the... I mean, this isn't the ideal, but you... It, what the fuck? You sound so good. Thanks, buddy. Did it's so I'm funny pumped. to sit next to somebody when I'm playing a song that was a hit before he was even in his dad's balls. Yeah, you weren't even in your dad's balls, Tyler. How old are you now? 25. So I could be his father. Are is, there you? is there something you want to say? Is there something you want to announce? <laughs> no, no. Well, Tyler, I'd be happy to be your father. Oh, thank you. In fact, you. call me dad for the next you want to Yeah, have, you got still, it. You want to have kids or you, you're I still, over I think it. I'm getting old now, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, there's been a cu- couple of close moments, not with pregnancy, but with mm-hmm. women that I really liked. Uh, you know, I'd like to find someone, but yeah, I, I love having someone around. I love have you know, being able to do something with someone. Uh, and you're happily married now. Yep. Things are going when well. You, awesome. Did, when you find yeah. someone, yeah. are you going to say, I found someone. <laughs> Are you gonna just like blurt it out? Maybe I should. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, dude, Richard Marks, this has been a real treat. I don't know what else to say, but we have to end it here. This is you played two beautiful songs. You gave your heart out. You you were honest and the last open. one, by the way, is uh, the song I play when somebody says, "Would you come? Would you consider singing at our wedding?" Should have known better. Should have known better. What was I going to say? So, where can people see you? Where are you going in the next? Everywhere. People, just look him up on on Twitter. Where are you? Uh, Twitter, Richard Marks. Uh, Instagram, the Richard Marks. My website has all the the tour dates. We're playing. Is it uh, richardmarks.com? Marks.com. Yeah, I was. I, I should have been brianadams.com, but it was already taken. Um, <laughs> and I'm doing more shows with Rick Springfield, and then I'm going to I'm doing a South American tour in the fall, and back to Europe in the spring, and just I'm 
playing like nonstop. And I, oh, and a new album coming out in the fall. What's that called? It's we don't know what it, the album's probably going to be called Limitless, but um, the first single, which is coming out pretty soon, I'm so excited about. It's called Another One Down, and I wrote it with my son Lucas, Aww. and he produced it. Dude, you're awesome. Let's go take a picture in the video. You got it. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.